Welcome to Your Shelf. Or My Show. Or My Shelf. I'm Becky Standle, Youth Services Librarian at the Longview Public Library. I'm Mark Amos Peters. And I'm Roger Peters. Thank you guys for coming on. We've been doing some special episodes this year for the city's centennial, focusing on the history of Longview. And you guys are here today to talk about your father, Amos Peters, and his contribution to our history and I think community identity in particular, his building of the first Squirrel Bridge here in town. So I wondered if we could just start with you guys telling me a little bit about your family and your background. Well, I'm the oldest of uh, the three kids from Amos and Elsie Peters. My mom uh, was from uh, Batavia, Illinois, came out here. She was a a former Marine, and when she left the Marines, she came to Longview with another Marine woman friend who had a job in Longview. She didn't, Mom didn't know what she was going to do, but she came along for the ride and never left Longview. Mom was a bookkeeper at the Long Bell Retail Yard, established by Robert A. Long way back when. And when Dad, when he started his construction company, that's where he bought his materials. So that's where Mom and Dad met. And later over time, that changed ownership several times. And then my my dad, mom and dad, and another partner bought the building, and then mom and dad bought them out. So my mom and dad owned the building where they first met, and then uh, we kids bought it from them, and then we sold that to Fiber Federal Credit Union for their uh, corporate headquarters at the corner of Commerce and Douglas. How did your father come to live in Longview? Well, his his family was here in 1923 when Longview was founded. Uh, they moved around a lot, but he was, they were here then. Actually, he was the fourth youngest of 12 kids, born to Christina and... and uh, Bird Verdon. Verdon, yeah. And and they, for a while, they lived in a tent on the banks of the Cowlitz River on the Kelso side. But they were here in Longview in 23, and then uh, moved around. Dad actually graduated from high school at North Kitsap in Paulsbo, up by Bremerton. He wasn't... Uh, he, strong student. Uh, we learned that he gra- probably graduated from high school about two weeks before his 21st birthday, but he was great in uh, estimating construction projects, demanding quality construction, and he had tremendous foresight being able to see what things would or could look like before they were ever built. Mm-hmm. Kind of like a, like a three-dimensional thinking, almost. Yes. And how did he come to start? His construction company. He actually started as a, a two-person cabinet shop, Amos Peters and Amos Crook. The, his partner wanted to keep it small. Dad wanted to expand, so Dad bought him out and started in residential construction and found that he probably wanted to do more commercial, so he moved into commercial construction, and that's pretty much what his whole career in general contracting was. Mm-hmm. And if I understand right, he started that just down the street from the library here, right? Started at our at our house, mm-hmm. which is 1767 20th Avenue, where Campus Towers is now. But then 
that when he built campus or built Park Plaza building, he then moved his office, construction office there, and that's where coming to the office one day mm -hmm. he found a dead squirrel in the street, and that's how the squirrel bridge sort of started and steamrolled from there. And that that park building is that's where that Happy Kids dentist is now. Yes. Yes. Okay. So tell us the story of the first squirrel bridge. Well, as Mark mentioned, uh, Dad discovered, I think it was more than one dead squirrel, but he was a creative thinker and a problem solver, and so he came up with the idea of building a bridge because the branches of the trees that they were going back and forth by crossing the street, uh, they didn't connect up above, so there was a dentist there who actually turned out to be our family dentist, Dr. Sweeney, who also had an office in Park Plaza, and he who's really a kind-hearted guy, and he would always put out nuts for the squirrels. Well, they, the squirrels learned that, and so you know they, they mm -hmm. wanted to cross the street from the, the library park side, cross Olympia Way. So anyway, Dad came up with the idea, and uh, he went before the Longview City Council and proposed building a squirrel bridge that he would donate to the city. In fact, I, I have some pictures here that unfortunately the listeners won't be able to see, but there's a, one of my favorite pictures is a picture when the bridge went up in, uh, actually it was March 19th of 1963. It was dedicated, that was a Tuesday, uh, two Saturdays later, it was formally dedicated. But there's a picture that was in the Daily News of Dad and Bess Law Revere, who was a city councilwoman at the time. And she's the one who who named the bridge, you know, at the meeting, she said, we could call it the Nutty Narrows Bridge, you know, after Galloping Gertie, you know, the, the bridge up in Tacoma that fell down. Anyway, so that's how it got its name. And uh, so Dad went to work. He built the bridge out of the smaller portions of the superstructure, actually made out of TV antenna, but yeah. he, he had to get some other tubing, you know, like electrical tubing. Mm -hmm. I have this memorabilia box here that of everything Nutty Narrows we've collected through the years, and we've got several of his drawings, you know, first draft and all that sort of thing. But anyway, so the city council proved it. It was it was erected, and uh, it kind of took off from there. The uh, Associated Press, I think, picked up the story, so it went national and international. Mm -hmm. And one of the one of my favorite things was that uh, I had just gotten a subscription to Sports Illustrated. And it was maybe the second or third one I got, which was March, the March issue in 1963. And this was right before the bridge went up. And there was an article in the portion at the front of their magazine called Scorecard, which has really nothing to do with sports, but they found it so interesting that they mm -hmm. put, included that in there. Found out years later, I guess he'd be my oldest cousin, uh, who was in the military at the time. He was in the barracks, on his bunk, reading Sports Illustrated, and he goes, hey, that's my uncle. You know? <laughs> so anyway, uh, that, that's, that's how it got started. And then, you know, it just, it really kind of snowballed from there. there so many stories about it. Just in the first year, he got letters from, since the story went, kind of went worldwide, mm -hmm. he got letters from, had memorized this from a speech I'd given before, some of the more interesting places. He got, got letters from Japan, got letters from New Zealand, Canada, England, Germany, and Israel. Wow. And uh, 
We also got uh, letters of a classroom of about 25 kids or so from San Diego in their own handwriting, you know, with kind of a cover letter from a teacher thanking him for putting up, you know, saving the squirrels. Mm -hmm. You know, he also got, got one from a class in uh, Michigan. So um, that's, that's kind of how it started. How old were you guys when that was happening? Well, I was 1963. I, had, I was still 10. Yeah, and uh, I guess I would have been 13. What was it like for you guys? Did you have like a sense of how big it was? Did you think it was cool or did you think your dad was kind of like, you know? Well, it didn't really, didn't really register what a big, big thing it was initially. Mm -hmm. Dad, uh, he was a doer. He always loved building things and doing things. And uh, we were... Roger and I were into athletics, all sports, and we were sort of doing our thing as Dad was doing his thing. Dad never missed a game, though, of, of yeah. the, that we played. This sort of gradually became more and more important, and, and Dad was a, a sandbagger. He loved Longview. He thought Longview was the best place in the world to live, and being a sandbagger, doing crazy things to promote Longview, and then the, the Squirrel Bridge was sort of his perfect serendipity to promote Longview and, uh, and just uh, sort of the way he uh, was able to, to promote and mm -hmm. show his love for Longview. Well, it certainly has worked, I'll say. It's definitely like the most, I think, joyful, positive thing like people know Longview for. And when we get, like at the library, when we get visitors from coming from out of town, that they're like, oh, we, we stopped here to see the Squirrel Bridge. We were driving through or we came up from Portland. It's definitely been a driver of tourism. And then just like people randomly happen upon it and it just brings people joy, which I think is so fun. Could you tell me more about the Sandbaggers? I know I had heard of them and asked somebody about them, I think like when I moved here, because I've, I've been here at the library for eight. Um, eight years and they're like oh it's just like a bunch of pranksters <laughs> is that right yes they are i think they they were a, a takeoff from the rainmakers in portland hmm. who were the same kind of group uh they pr promoted portland and did a lot of zany things i know they were involved uh maybe still are if they're still in existence with the rose parade every year but uh, Walt Nays, who was, I believe, the manager of the Bar Marseille at the time, he and Barry Morrill started the club. And there were a lot of people that, uh, through the years, that have been members. Ted Nat <clears throat> was a member at one time, publisher of the, the Daily News, John Crook, the architect, some lawyers in town, Herb Hadley, who had an insurance business and other businesses through time and was also a state representative. So you had a lot of big-name people that were part of the Sandbaggers. Actually, I joined the Sandbaggers after Dad passed away in January of 1984. And it was all about promoting Longview, but doing it with, uh, with a, a sense of humor. And they do some pretty zany things. For example, if there was a, some kind of a banquet over at uh, what is now the Red Lion in Kelso, they'd do a drunk, ra drunk waiter routine. And so they'd come out, you know, to fill people's glasses and things like that and, you know, overfill and pour it on the Or come out in the middle of somebody's speech with the vacuum, you know, <laughs> to clean up. Those kinds of things. Uh, the, the, uh, when Mount St. Helens blew, this was at before I was a sandbagger. There's a picture of the Daily News of the sandbaggers with a mannequin to sacrifice as a virgin to the volcano. Because, and the caption was because they couldn't find any other virgins in the county. <laughs> 
So, I mean, you know, just all kinds of stuff. Very, very creative things that promoted laundry. And, and Dad was, was part of that uh, as well. And subsequently, I was too. How the sandbaggers relate directly to the squirrel religion is this. Started out after, after Dad died, sandbaggers decided that Dad needed a monument or some recognition. So we made a trip up to Ashton, Washington, which is south Mount Rainier, to a, a sculptor there who was fairly well known, a guy named Duke Moore. And so we commissioned him to carve a squirrel, and uh, one of the mills provided us with a big chunk of cedar, a huge chunk. I don't know if you've ever seen pictures of the original squirrel. Yes. But it had some punky spots in it anyway. Mm -hmm. So Duke, when he sculpted it, it's different than the, the current one because it's, it's curved over in that mm -hmm. classic a, holding a yeah. nut squirrel. And the original squirrels were, were red squirrels, so it was stained red. So the sandbaggers actually we went up with one of Peter's construction company's flatbed and, and picked it up when it was ready and brought it down and, and our construction company installed the, the squirrel and after a certain amount of time it had to be replaced because it had gotten so rotten. But of course the sandbaggers, and I really wasn't active with sandbaggers at that time, probably around 2010, and Mark knows this story better than I do because he talked to Pat Sari, who was probably the, the, the originator of the idea. They came up with the idea of Squirrel Fest. And, and also the construction of new bridges. Mm -hmm. you know. So that, and School Fest started in 2011. It's been continuous, you know, every year except for the COVID year. Right. How many bridges are there now? Well, there are actually eight, but I just learned from a sandbagger, uh, Rick Johnson, that at this year's Squirrel Fest, which is going to be August 19th, the week from tomorrow, week from tomorrow that the sandbaggers will be unveiling Squirrel Bridge number nine at this year's Squirrel Fest. That's really cool. Have you guys been involved in any of that at Squirrel Fest or any of the... So, yeah, so the family participated in two of the Squirrel Fest parades. The first time was in 2012. Mm -hmm. And uh, right now I'm looking at a picture of that was taken by the daily news photographer behind the hotel after the parade was over. So it just got quite a few of our family members in it. Dad had made a replica of the bridge out of wood in, for the, uh, the rededication of the bridge in 1983. The city took it down and needed the, 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 the roadway of the bridge is fire hose, which mm -hmm. was always donated by the Washington Fire Department. But the sign needed to be touched up mm. and that sort of thing. So dad decided that he would make an exact replica. So we actually had the, the real bridge back in mm -hmm. his basement and he made this replica is made out of wood. Mm -hmm. It's painted silver so it looks like it's aluminum like the original bridge. It's the exact same dimensions and everything with the sign. Second another sign was made exactly like the original. But of course dad dad had passed away long before this but I had pictures of the truck with the bridge on it in 1983 when Chip and Dale were here with Mickey Mouse. And then in the memorabilia box, I found a drawing. He did an actual drawing, you know, with dimensions and everything of how to, to mount this thing on the truck. And so that was really helpful yeah. to me, believe me. So we did it that year, and then two years later, we were in the parade again because it was that was 2014, and that was the year that the, the Squirrel Bridge was accepted on the Longview Historical mm -hmm. Registry in like June, and then or something like that, maybe it was earlier than that, and then 
middle of the summer was accepted by the Washington State Historical Registry, and then uh, I think it was in August it was accepted on the National Historical Register. Wow. So there was a, a ceremony that year that was sort of in recognition of that, and also the city decided that there was some confusion as to whether or not the city owned it or the Peters family owned it. So they made up a deed and, and put it in a frame, mm -hmm. and that was part of the ceremony of Go Forth that year. And I have some pictures of that, too, where her mom is sitting there listing speeches holding the dollar that she got mm -hmm. for the deed. But yeah, so that's kind of the story of the bridge replica. But actually, it was made because of the, the rededication, you know, 1983, 60-year anniversary of Wandy and all that. The, the story of Chip and Dale is really fascinating, and, and Mark knows that story, I think, better than I do. It is, and I, I learned more about the story uh, at the dedication of the Shea locomotive. Jim Elliott, who at the time, uh, well, as Roger said, it was 83 was Longview's 60th anniversary, and it was the bridge's 20th anniversary, and Cowlitz Cable View, where Jim was the manager, uh, had just started with the Disney Channel. And anyone that started with the Disney Channel got a Mickey and Minnie promotion. They just didn't know when or where. So Jim Elliott called Disney, and he said, we have a squirrel bridge. Click. <laughs> I don't know if they actually hung up on him, but they really didn't believe him. It took quite a bit for Jim to convince them that, yes, we do really have a squirrel bridge. And he then asked, can you send Chip and Dale with Mickey and Minnie? So they thought about it a little bit. And they said, well, you have to have Mickey, but we'll send Chip and Dale instead of Minnie. So that's why Chip and Dale, not the Chip and Dale dancers, but <laughs> the real Chip and Dale from Disneyland came along with Mickey from Disneyland. Mickey was the grand marshal of that parade, the 4th of July parade in 1983, and Chip and Dale came and rode in the parade with uh, with Dad in the back of his 31 Ford stake bed truck that had the, the replica of the bridge on that truck. So that was a fun, and, and our daughter was just not quite two and a half years old, mm -hmm. so before the parade she had a picture of Dad holding her with standing next to Mickey Mouse. We were also building the uh, triangle cinemas at the same time. The walls were up of the cinema, but there was still construction going on outside. There were piles of dirt and tobacco. And so Dad was holding daughter Amy standing next to Mickey Mouse with uh, the theater in the background. We took a picture, and when we showed that picture to our daughter Amy, we said, Amy, what do you see? And she did not say Mickey Mouse. She said backhoe. <laughs> oh, that picture and then I don't know if it was before the parade but definitely after got a picture with Dad and Chippendale and Amy in the back of the uh, of his truck yeah it was just a fun event uh, great that Jim Elliott called Disneyland and requested and it turned out that the two the two people that were Chippendale were two girls one happened to be pregnant in fact Jim thought understood that she actually, when she returned to Disneyland, immediately went on maternity leave. Yeah. So, but the bump in the costume <laughs> made that unnoticeable. And mm -hmm. so two girls, I don't know who played Mickey, but um, anyway, that was a fun, uh, fun day for sure.
I've got a, a trivia question for those who are listening to the podcast. It's one of my favorite trivia questions, and it really took Chip and Dale coming up here for me to, to actually know what the answer is. But So one of the chipmunks has a, a black nose, and the other one has a red nose. Which one's Chip, which one's Dale? And I have asked that question probably 30 times to people through the years, and not one person has ever answered it right. I mean, they got a 50% chance they always just guess. I think I know. Okay. I think Dale is the more serious chipmunk and has the black nose. No? Nope. <laughs> Close. It's, 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 <laughs> it's, it's, <laughs> the entire world needs to know that Chip is the one with the black nose and Dale has the red nose. Dang. Don't feel bad. Nobody I've ever <laughs> talked to knows the correct answer, unless they guess it. Seems like it should be the other way around. If I understand right, where this, the bridge is now is not where... It, it originally was. Is that correct? Yeah, that's correct. Where it's located now is, is actually its fourth location. Oh, okay. So the first time it, it moved, it had to be moved because, uh, let's see, it was in uh, 1989. The, of course, the, the bridge is attached to a tree on the, the, the Longview Park side, Library mm -hmm. Park side, and the other on the Park Plaza side, the other side of Olympia Way. Well, I got a call from a guy uh, on, on that day when the, when the bridge came down, a contractor who we worked with who happened to have his office at Park Plaza, or maybe he was just visiting, but he said, I just wanted you to know that the bridge fell down. Well, what had happened was, I mean, it was a pretty strong wind that day. It was in the fall, and uh, yeah, the, the tree turned out to be on the, on, the, on the Park Plaza side. It was rotten, and it, and it, and it fell down. Oh. And the pictures of, you know, the bridge mm -hmm. laying over Olympia Way. And uh, so the, the city, of course, took it down. And then it took a while to decide where to put, uh, you know, whether they could continue to use the same location. Well, there was another tree close by on the Park Plaza side. And so they left the attachment on the Library Park side and, and sort of angled it. They needed a little more uh, fire hose. Mm -hmm. They angled it so it was no longer you know, perpendicular to Olympia Way. And then it was there for I don't know how many years. And the Parks and Recreation Department determined that there was rot in the other tree. And so they that tree actually I think is still there, but they had they had branches that they had to cut. Out. They were concerned mm -hmm. about it. So the bridge needed to be moved again, and, and that then it was moved in front of the library going yeah. across to Civic Center. And it wasn't there all that many years, and I don't actually know exactly why they moved it the final time. I know one thing, that, that it, was, it was not as visible there, even though it was, kind of, it was sort of a nice location, but because people mm -hmm. really have to pay attention driving around Civic Center. And then the, the lights that, that go up on the bridge on the Christmas tree every year it really wasn't visible because, for, kind of for the same reason. And of course, it was right next to all the park lights as well. Mm -hmm. So finally, it got moved to uh, across Olympia Way uh, from the Longview Park side to over there by 18th. So it's actually been in four locations. I remember when it was in the circle across from the library. I didn't realize that it was originally. It's like kind of closer now to where it was originally then. Uh, well, I would say yes in terms of distance. It's closer now to the original location mm -hmm. than than the the Civic Center mm -hmm. was. 
And another interesting thing about that is when the uh, squirrel monument mm -hmm. dedicated to Dad went in, the original one, it was facing the bridge. I mean, looking kind mm -hmm. of right mm -hmm. at the bridge. Well, as I said earlier, that became rotten to the point where it just needed to be replaced or removed. And so in 2001, and I shouldn't remember his name, but uh, a carver actually carved 90% of it at the lake on Goforth. And then, oh, he, cool. then, then it, he touched it up when it was brought here. But this, the, when the city installed the new squirrel, mm -hmm. he turned it so that it, the new squirrel is facing the present location of the bridge, which I thought was a nice touch. Yeah, that is. Yeah. Yeah. So. That's cool. The interesting thing, Becky, is when the bridge went down or whenever it has been taken down to relocate it, uh, there have been letters to the editor, people saying that's the first, when people come to visit me from out of town, that's the mm -hmm. first place we, we want to visit. They and get so worried. Wh when is, when yeah. is the bridge going back up? <laughs> yeah. there, so it really is a popular mm -hmm. uh, destination point for, for people. Yeah, I, I have an anecdote about the Christmas tree that goes up every mm -hmm. year. Dad, there, and I have a picture in the box here of Dad... Uh, putting up the Christmas tree the very first year, you know, which would have been December of 1963. And he, <laughs> in order to kind of attract the squirrels, he, he placed nuts in the, in the branches of the little tree itself. Mm -hmm. The tree was maybe three, three and a half feet tall, right? Right in the middle of the bridge. Well, the squirrels got into that, but not only were they eating the nuts, they, they, they chewed the cord, <laughs> so the lights went out. So that was the last year that the nuts were put in the tree. Uh, and so, as mentioned before, Dad passed away in 1984. So he, he was responsible for getting the tree every year for like 21 years. And so the last time he did that was basically about a month before he died. Was it a real tree? Yes. And, and uh, I took over after Dad passed away and did it till about probably around 2014 or 2015, and finally the city. And I decided it just makes more sense for you guys to handle the whole thing. But yes, so in December, I and Dad before me would go to one of the Christmas tree lots and pick out a nice short tree, mm -hmm. you know, three to four feet, and buy it and bring it back, put the uh, lights on it. I usually like to put some garland on it, too, because it's sort of reflected a little bit at night. And uh, so it went up every every year. But there was one the year that the that the bridge fell you know fell down in 1989. Uh, and this was really touching. There was a letter to the editor, yeah, along probably maybe in November. The bridge hadn't been put back up yet, and uh, it was from a, a grade school. I can't remember if it was either eight or twelve. I think he had a little help from one of his parents, maybe writing the letter. But in the letter, he said. Is the is the tree gonna go back on the bridge this Christmas? So this is this is one of the biggest parts of my Christmas. It's yeah. you know it's part of my tradition, and I miss it. And he's, you know I'm really worried that it's not gonna go back up. Well, fortunately, it did go up in December, and that I uh, you know I bought the tree, had decorated, and it, it it was maybe the latest it ever ever was up in December. Usually we'd wait a week or a week and a half after they had the the annual lighting of the, the Civic Center, the mm -hmm. Christmas Light Civic Center. But this one just made it in time. 
but I always, you know, it, it just told me how much that squirrel bridge means mm -hmm. to people in the area. Yeah. So uh, that's sweet. Yeah, and there was a, there was a, a time when I did that, probably around 2010, when I just a wave of melancholy washed over me. I don't know if it's when I was buying the tree or decorating the tree. And I realized that Dad had done it for 21 years, and it was like the 25th or 26th year that I had done it, you know, with the, the Christmas tree. And it almost brought me to tears because, you know, I, I didn't realize he'd been gone so long, you know. Mm -hmm. I think that that's like a really incredible legacy to leave, but it's like not all that he left. Did you both work for him? At yes, Dad. Well, he had quadruple bypass surgery at age 60, and then at age 67, he had a triple bypass surgery and only lived four days after that. But Dad had started the business from scratch as a cabinet shop and then gradually grew and grew. Actually, Mom was the bookkeeper for the construction company at our house, but then when Dad moved the office to Park Plaza, she no longer did that. But just before Dad died, Mom had come back to the office, and so that Mom, Roger, and I continued the business. So all, all told, our family was in the general contracting business for more than half a century. But yeah, Dad started out, uh, he built any number of buildings. It seemed like we built a lot of churches. Actually, just the, I think the year Dad died, Roger ran the project, the Catholic Church, changed their, their worship format, so we did an extensive interior remodel of the St. Rose Church. We, we later uh, built the St. Rose Parish Center. We built the Calvary Community Church out on 38th Avenue, everything there but the gym, St. Mary's Church in, in Kelso. But Dad also, ironically, built some bridges for the Forest Service on the, I guess it would be the east side of Mount St. Helens, mm -hmm. so, so. Uh, east and south side. There was Curly Creek and Quartz Creek, a couple others, I think. At least one of them got wiped out when Mount mm -hmm. St. Helens erupted. But we also built water reservoirs. I mean, Dad pretty much did all types of construction, you know, for the mills sometimes, uh, built banks, the original Cowitz Bank building in Longview across the street from the PUD. We built their... Kalama branch. He built the um, Pacific, I think it was called Pacific First Federal Savings way many, many years ago. That's at the corner of uh, Broadway and 14th, I think. It's now what continental investment or something. Anyway, so he built buildings and a lot of other projects of all sizes and descriptions. And the big one was Campus Towers an eight-story retirement home on almost the exact same footprint where our ho home was at 1767 20th Avenue. He had our house cut in half and put rolled onto trailers to be transported down to a new full foundation on the banks of the Cowlitz River, and then he built campus towers. Why did they make the decision to do that and put it there? Well, I think he probably looked at several places, but then American Baptist Church that started their church uh, meetings at North Lake School right next mm -hmm. to our house. They had a meeting and they decided to build a senior housing and at that same meeting decided to build a, the Longview Christian School. And uh, so dad and the pastor, Dr. Jim Conrad, made a great team. Both had great foresight, great business sense, and 
and they were a great team on a lot of building projects, but that one, and another interesting thing, uh, Becky, that 1767 20th, it's about three blocks from the, the city center, mm -hmm. the, the circle, and Dad loved horses. We had several horses pastured there. Dad uh, loved horses. Uh, Roger and I got to clean the horse, horse stalls it's, on Saturday morning. Funny he loved it more think. than we did. <laughs> yeah, he loved it yeah. more than we did. <laughs> How like rural just right here yeah, that, was for so long. Yeah, what was, yeah, what yeah. was interesting, I mean, so it's, it's kind of that property sort of nestled between Lower Columbia College property and all the school district mm -hmm. property, school district property between Mark Morris and Northlake. Mm -hmm. I mean, it was just kind of right in the middle of it. But yeah, so property adjacent to it had been owned by Cy Sweet, who I think was, he was mom's employer mm -hmm. at Westway. He, he ran the Long Bell Retail Yard for, for RALR. And uh, so he, he owned a house in a, kind of across the pasture there. And we sort of shared this barn, which was actually on that property. And so that's where the stalls were mm -hmm. for the horses and whatnot. But yeah, I mean, it, it, it was like we were living out in the country. And, you know, we are like, three blocks away, four blocks away from downtown. Yeah. This is just awesome. Festival for yeah. 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 It's like growing up in the country, but had the conveniences of being in the town. I was at the, just by chance, city council meeting in the last couple of years. I don't remember exactly when it was, but when they came to ask the city for some of the land to build the new buildings they're building at Campus Towers. And part of that ask was like a presentation about the history of that project. And I thought that was incredible. And I before I just happened to be at this meeting to hear the story, I thought it was so, just so incredible, like the the foresight to build that. I know how important that facility, like the building is for people who live here and how in demand it is and what like a community they have there. Could you tell us a, a, a little more about how that like came to be? Well, I, I think Becky, that it all started, Pastor Jim Conrad came from Chicago, a real young pastor, and he had a vision, started a brand new church. They first started meeting at North Lake School and, you know, not too many years after that, it was a young, small church. They invited a guy down from, consultant down from Seattle to, uh, to talk to them about building, building campus towers. And he later found out that they were also going to vote at that same meeting whether or not to build a new Christian school. And apparently the Seattle consultant said, I thought the chances of approving the campus towers project just standing alone were problematic, but if I'd known you were going to be voting on two major, starting two major projects, I probably wouldn't even have bothered to come down. So, I mean, the people at the meet, that meeting asked the question, very young congregation, why should we build a retirement home? None of us are anywhere close to it. And the, Pastor Jim Conrad said, well, someday, maybe many years from now, some of us may need a facility like that. And and the church voted unanimously to proceed with both projects. And, um, you know, it just was a lot of foresight and faith mm -hmm. of a young, growing church to, to do the, both projects. And both campus towers, like you said, is needed, have a long waiting list. And the Longwood Christian School is now combined with another Christian school, the Three Rivers mm -hmm. Christian, serving, I think, preschool through, through high school. And uh, both, both are thriving to this day yeah and they had to buy um 
still Beacon Hill School from the Kelso School District, because right, uh, and then they have a I campus out there yeah. now too. Oh, yeah, just lots of growth. Were you guys grown when the Campus Towers project started? No, well, see, that was what was seventy, seventy, seventy one. Yeah, they started construction in 1970, so I was just finishing college. Were you at home when the house was moved? Yeah, <laughs> literally. We, we, <laughs> my sister and my brother and I, and, and, and one of Lynn's friends, we slept in one of the sections of the house mm -hmm. the night before, and our, and our alarm was the Weber construction coming in with their <laughs> trucks, you know, and, and all this, you know, all this rabble. And yeah, we rode in the house. Wow! Uh, across the you know across towards the, where the Mark Morris practice football uh -huh. field was, out onto Ocean Beach Highway where the Bluebird Courts are. I don't know if still there. Anyway, and and down you know down Ocean Beach Highway and the PUD had to, they were there at several of the intersections where there were power lines mm -hmm. going across and they had to jill poke them up so that, you know there was enough clearance yeah. for the house to get underneath, having been jacked up onto the trailer, and then we cut across from. Ocean Beach Highway to where the armory is and through that field, you know, where the armory is, you know, where everybody parks for uh, the fair. And then down 7th to 3rd, or Hudson, and then down 3rd to what is now Marine View driving up onto the dike. And I was, uh, I was working, it was, it was summer, uh, in the summertime, I was you know, back from college, and I worked on the foundation of the house up on on the river, and what I really wanted to see was see them roll it, roll yeah. that thing out onto the foundation. Those two sections, but I had to go to work you know, oh. on, a, on a different job. <laughs> so, right, so I never got to see that part. Although I have I have some pictures of it, but yeah. So, uh, yeah, we we actually rode in the house. Wow, I'm surprised they let you do that. Maybe they didn't let you. I you just I did it. We don't think we asked anybody. <laughs> No, for sure. Yeah, that was our, our alarm. The uh, trailer trucks wow. moving with the house, each half of the house. That woke us up that morning. We ro rode all the way over there. Backtracking a little bit, uh, Becky, you asked about Dad's history. Yeah. Uh, a couple things that show the foresight he had. He and Harry Kalbum, a local attorney, spent 14 months rezoning a residential area into Longview's first ever shopping center zone, mm -hmm. the Triangle Shopping Center. Dad built the original buildings there, uh, one of which, or in part of the Triangle property, was the Triangle Bowling Alley. And that was uh, the very first building in Cowles County, as we understand it, that was built concrete tilt-up. It's where you pour the Pour the slab, then you pour the walls on top of the slab, and you tilt them up. And Dad had the foresight to locate where the crane pick points were on the end walls. So a few years later, when they wanted to expand the number of uh, lanes in the bowling alley, he just chipped out the, the grout at the pick point locations, or moved the end panel over and filled in the side panels, rather than start from scratch. So he did that. Wow. He also took the uh, the PUD manager, Glenn Hiddle, at the time. They took a trip down to California to learn how to put in underground power utilities, mm -hmm. and which the first underground power utilities are on Canyon View, one of Dad's residential developments. And, um, you know, he just always was looking ahead. He, he uh, wasn't a great communicator. He was a great doer. 
but the not being able to communicate his vision sometimes was very frustrating mm-hmm. for him but but he, he kept moving ahead to his credit and did some amazing things but the the neat thing and, and the original buildings of the triangle have been demolished the Triangle Cinema we built, you know, that's been vacated because the newer, bigger ones was built over in Kelso. Mm-hmm. So it seemed like a lot of Dad's buildings are no longer in one form or another. But fortunately, the Squirrel Bridge, I think, will yeah. uh, will last for a long time. Mark, you should relate the story uh, that you learned from, from Jim Conrad, Pastor Conrad, about how Campus Towers would actually not have been built if it wasn't for, for Dad's... Uh, yeah. foresight and, and how to keep the costs down. Yeah, we, uh, my sister always did a great job planning for, you know, birthday parties and so forth. On mom's 90th birthday, the family all went down to the beach and uh, celebrated that. And everybody at that time wrote down on your 90th birthday, this is the way you can live to be 100. Everybody wrote that down and, and mom did live to be 100. But on her 99th birthday that we celebrated, again, our sister Lynn planned that uh, wonderful luncheon party for her at the Country Folks Deli. I happened to be sitting next to Pastor Jim Conrad. He said, well, your dad is is the one, without your dad, Campus Towers would not have been built. I said, well, you know, what, what do you mean? Well, it turned out that the church uh, was the owner, American Baptist Church at that time, was the owner of the of Campus Towers, or the, to be the owner of Campus Towers, and the bank loan had to be guaranteed by HUD, the Federal Housing and Urban Development. Well, apparently, when they went to the key person at the HUD office in Seattle, for whatever reason, did not want the project to be built. So he turned it down, and apparently the American Baptist attorneys from back Washington, D.C., convinced the HUD people back in Washington, D.C. that that the project should be built. Mm-hmm. So so they overrode the the Seattle HUD person's director and said, let them build the project. So the Seattle HUD person decided, well, I have one more way I can kill this project. Mm-hmm. You can build it on one condition, that is, you cannot exceed this dollar amount for the entire project. I don't know what that amount was, but he, the HUD person in Seattle, felt there's no way that the project can be built for this budget number that I've given him, so the project will not happen. Well, Dad took a look at the uh, at the budget number. He says, you know, uh, Pastor Jim, I, I think we can do it for that. And he was able to do it for that. The way he did it was to use uh, precast, pre-stressed, concrete panels for the walls and the floors, you know, factory built and factory off-site. Yeah. You know, off-site at the factory and then shipped to the site and lifted in place with a crane. And you do the walls and then you put the next the floor on top of those and then the next floor of walls, floor walls all the way up instead of doing it the, the traditional way of forming it in place and mm-hmm. pouring it in stages, which would have taken much more time and expense. Uh, they had figured out the way to do that, and um, they were able to build campus towers. Wow, that's incredible. That's a great story. 
Yeah, I can also relate to that, how it affected us as kids, sort of. Mm -hmm. So we, you know, Dad was a pretty busy guy. And when we were growing up as kids, our vacation basically was go to Long Beach and clam dig, right? Mm -hmm. Well, when I was a junior, well, actually, I think when I was in the fifth grade, we uh, we did go down to Disneyland by car. And then when I was in junior high, we, we made this trip to Hawaii. But somewhere in between there... <laughs> The dad told, informed us that our vacation was going to be to Vancouver, B.C. <laughs> the three of us said, well, why? Because he wanted to, they had a lot of high-rise buildings up there, and he wanted to learn about how they were built. Because he's, you know, thinking ahead, uh -huh. figured he could use that in his business down the road. So, so we, <laughs> we went to Vancouver, B.C. It turned out to be a pretty good vacation because we also got to go to Victoria. Mm -hmm. But anyway that uh, kind of relates to, to how Campus Towers got built. Amos's kids had to sacrifice a good vacation. vacation. Yeah. <laughs> a working vacation. Yeah. 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 So this year is the 60th anniversary since the Squirrel Bridge was installed. Have you done this year or are planning on doing any kind of um, ceremony or thing around that anniversary? This interview. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> It tops the list. Yeah. Well, I think the uh, probably the unveiling of uh, Squirrel Bridge Number Nine mm -hmm. that the sandbaggers are going to be doing at Squirrel Fest next Saturday. That's a big part of mm -hmm. it. We're we're not active sandbaggers anymore. Don't know the particulars on it, but uh, it's nice that there's now nine bridges. And if if people you know want to learn more about either the bridge or Squirrel Fest, if you Google Nutty Narrows Bridge, especially Wikipedia, there's about fifty some references mm -hmm. on that website that go into all sorts of details about the bridge and the history. One of which is the the application for the National Historic Register, which it now is on the National Historic Register. And the other is to Google Squirrel Fest which if you scroll down to the map, it has an icon where all eight bridges are located. Clicking on that icon will, will actually show you a photo of each of the individual bridges and you can get a great idea of what the bridges look like. Mm -hmm. um, and there also is an icon for the Shea locomotive and for the, the uh, squirrel statue that's in dad's honor. But anyway, that's on the Squirrel Fest page and that'll give you the whole schedule of this year's Squirrel Fest on August 19th. Great. Thank you. Do you guys, do you think that your father would be surprised at how long the Squirrel Bridge has lasted and how important it's become to the city and the community um, and to the community identity? You know, I've, I've had that, I asked myself that very question mm -hmm. many times. I know one thing, he'd be pleased. If I had to guess, he probably didn't think it would, would be, quote, as big as it's been. Yeah. But unfortunately, again, the people listening to this podcast can't see this picture. But this was a picture taken by Don Cianci when Chippendale were here back in 1983. The picture was taken uh, about five and a half months before Dad died. Mm -hmm. he, didn't, you know, he didn't know he was soon to be gone, and, and none of us did. But take a look at his, his face. Yeah. It, it's a face of absolute pure joy. There were so many people there. I mean, you know, especially kids and their parents that were, this was right, right outside of, you know, of the, par, of the library here. Mm -hmm. And it, it was just a happening. You know, and you can just, he's, you know, 
you couldn't have a better feeling. You don't even have to know what thoughts are running through his head. You can tell just yeah, by looking at his face. Yeah. So, but whether he had any idea that it would go into what it did, probably not. He certainly would have been behind the sandbaggers idea <laughs> of, you know, building new, new bridges, you know. Mm -hmm. He would have loved school fest for sure. Well, and he I agree with Roger. He he uh, he had great foresight. He probably would have foreseen some extent of the how how important the, the bridge is, is to Longview, but maybe not the full extent. Yeah. But <clears throat> really would have enjoyed it. Uh but he, he always had a lot of fun with it too. At one point in time, I can't remember the years, but Longview actually ran out of squirrels. Yes. And so the Salem had squirrels and Longview had a bridge. And Don Mason, I think, who was the Longview Chamber of Commerce director, moved to Salem to become the Salem director. So there was a back and forth comical, we will build you bridges if you send us your squirrels. And they actually did send, I can still remember seeing a, I'll call it, sort of the squirrel house equivalent, like a dog house, mm -hmm. but there was actually a box. I don't know if that's the box that the squirrels came in, but they did send us some squirrels, and there was actually a box mounted on the library end of the squirrel bridge, actually in the branch of the tree there for a while, and, and we did have new squirrels, and now we have Tons of squirrels everywhere. So many squirrels. Just yesterday, we were having a teen event out in the rose garden, and we were playing like ladder balls where you throw like a ball and it's two balls on a rope. And a squirrel came up because it thought it was like food or something, and it came right up and it touched it, and then it was like, oh, it's not. It's not what I want. Do you remember? You had said originally there were red squirrels here, and now we have mostly. Gray. Gray I call squirrels. them gray squirrels. I tried to find out what species the red squirrel was. It might be a, a Douglas squirrel, uh -huh. but pictures I saw, I honestly don't know. But yeah, so Dad brought home one of the, we call it the squirrel that inspired the whole thing. Uh, it, it, it wasn't too mangled, but he brought it home and eventually made it to a taxidermist. Mm. And, and in the picture that you see of the squirrel that's on the replica, that's on the Model A truck, that is the squirrel. Oh, wow. And it's a red squirrel. Uh -huh. And uh, so in 19, around 1969, I'm looking And this at, is the L.A. Times. This is the L.A. Times. So the I AP picked story. this up. This is a picture of Dad on a, you know, on a, a man lift, you know, probably provided by the city. He's got this sign that he, he wrote that says, Have Bridge Need Squirrels. And it's right, he's right at the bridge. Mm -hmm. And you can see the, the, the bridge sign, the Manny Nero sign right below it. And so it was picked up by probably more than the Los Angeles Times, but this is dated October 23rd, 1969. And if you indulge me... Mm -hmm. Absolutely, I'll, yes, you know, please. This, this kind of helped explain that situation a little bit. So uh, below the picture, the caption reads, Animals vanish. Town has bridge for squirrels, but no squirrels. Longview, Washington by Charles Hillinger, Times staff writer. The town that built a bridge for squirrels has has run out of the furry, long-tailed animals. They disappeared last winter, one of the severest on record in this Columbia River town, and never returned. As a side note to that, I, I, I remember Dad talking about, I thought that perhaps that it, some predators had gotten mm. after them, maybe dogs off leash or whatever, yeah. but uh, you know, they're claiming here that it might have been cold weather. 
Uh, it says, now Longview has a campaign to recruit new squirrels. City fathers of Salem, Oregon, hearing of Longview's plight, agreed to, to a swap. Salem, 100 miles south, has an abundance of squirrels. Build us a squirrel bridge, and we will ship you several pairs of prolific gray squirrels from the Oregon State Capitol grounds, wrote Don McNeil, manager of the Salem Chamber of Commerce. Amos Peters, 53, builder of the world's only man-made squirrel bridge, said he would gladly oblige. But earlier this month, in a special squirrel session of, say, a city, of Salem City Council, the trade was called off, fear for students' safety. Councilmen feared students at Willamette University might try to cross the squirrel bridge oh and fall onto the street <laughs> into oncoming traffic. They also said by accepting the bridge, they might have to give Longview some free advertising. <laughs> what kind of country would this be, declared McNeil at the councilman session, if it, had to, if it had turned down the Statue of Liberty because it might have advertised the French? <laughs> goes on. McNeil asked the city to post squirrel crossing signs. He also suggested signs be posted cautioning watch for falling squirrels. And then it talks about, a little bit about the history of, of the Nutty Narrows in Longview. But um, the last paragraph says, Peters is hoping City Fathers of Salem will have a change of heart. If not, he and the recipients of Longview will gladly accept squirrels from anywhere else. So that, you know, that, this article was in uh, October of 1969. So I have in our memorabilia box a couple of correspondences from Don McNeil, the one mentioned in the article, who was the head of their Chamber of Commerce, to, to Don Mason, who used to be the head of the Chamber of Commerce in Salem, but he'd come to Longview, and he was Longview's oh, chamber uh -huh. chair. And it was, it was really done tongue-in-cheek. One of the letters starts out from McNeil, you rat fink, you know, <laughs> and it goes on from there. And, you know some fictitious ordinances okay. that are being violated and all that stuff. Well, there was also an article that came that was in the Salem uh, paper. I think it's called the Salem Statesman. With the title, if, you, if you'll indulge me, I'll just hit a couple of highlights of this Absolutely. article. Uh, Willamette Honor Assailed, Squirrel Stolen. Why, why they say Willamette is the Willamette University campus is right across the street from the state capitol okay. grounds. Apparently, they have a, a bunch of squirrels there. Well, I'll just read a couple short portions of this. Uh, this was about kidnapping that supposedly happened on the grounds. Kidnappers remove a large a number of squirrels from the Willamette campus and Wilson Park. The exact number appears to be in excess of 30. Why would any want to, anyone want to steal a squirrel? There are several reasons. One is to eat them, but this one tends to remove itself. One alleged squirrel napper said that he wanted to get a squirrel as a pet for his little daughter. Second member said of the same party told told her that there were not enough trees in the park on the campus to support all the squirrels, so he's going to t take them to a place where there were lots of trees. But the most plausible reason seems to be the rumored reward for squirrels offered by the city of Longview, Washington. Several months back, they offered the city of Salem plans for a squirrel bridge between Willamette, the Willamette campus and the state capitol grounds in exchange for some squirrels for breeding stock in that city's parks. Salem refused, and Longview then began to offer a reward rumored to be from $1 to $5 for each squirrel brought to the city. People in Longview were not told, but it was implied to get these squirrels from Salem since that city wasn't going to protect them, and Longview having a squirrel bridge would. 
And then the last paragraph says, what can be done? Uh, again, this is all tongue-in-cheek, right? And you know, they mentioned the, the, the governor's office of the city police mm -hmm. and the school administration, the Salem City Council, and perhaps an ordinance, you know, to take care of. At the very end, it says, uh, perhaps a formal declaration of war on Longview <laughs> and a demand for restitution from that city for every squirrel brought in, in because of its offer. Perhaps federal action because this might be an interstate matter. Maybe even the FBI. Whoa, oh, that's so, such a fun and, story. And, and there was a, a man uh, who worked for, I believe, it was KATU, ABC Portland, Pat Wilkins, and he would uh, would come up with a camera crew maybe once a year to do follow up stories on on Nettie Narrows. He got to know Dad, and you know, it's one of those stories you include in. in in a news broadcast that, you know, maybe to end it or something, mm -hmm. or just so much news is negative. This is, just, yeah. this is all positive. So, but he got in the middle of this thing between Salem and Longview. And so, I mean, he was down there in Salem, you uh -huh. know, interviewing people, I think, and, you know, putting that spot on the Portland news as well. So it was, uh, I mean, it was, a, it was, I guess you would call that misinformation or disinformation. <laughs> yeah. But the people were just having fun with it. Mm -hmm. And in the process, Longview and Salem are both getting promoted. Yes. So, yeah. And that was you know, one of the big reasons behind mm -hmm. the Squirrel Bridge in the first place. Yeah. It's interesting, too, uh, Becky, the, um, just prior to the 20th anniversary, when the bridge needed to be taken down, President Reagan had passed a, a new tax for road and bridge maintenance. So Dad, again, sort of tongue-in-cheek, sent a letter to Longview Mayor George Rader saying, mm -hmm. you know, you should request bridge maintenance funds so we can restore the bridge and so forth. And in exchange for those funds, we can invite President Reagan here to do the, the ribbon cutting mm -hmm. at the rededication of the bridge. <laughs> he didn't, Reagan didn't come to, <laughs> to do the rededication. But Chippendale did. Um, so we are running out of time. Thank you guys so much for sharing all your stories. Um, I have a question that I've been asking most of the guests we've had to talk about, the history of Longview, um, which is that at this juncture where we're celebrating 100 years of a city, what do you guys hope for the city and their communities next 100 years? Well, I can tell you, uh, Becky, I, I certainly don't have the foresight that, that Dad had. <laughs> mm -hmm. I mean, he was brilliant at seeing what the future would, would be like, and, and he, uh, he went ahead and, and actually realized a lot of the things that he visualized. It'd be nice to have even just a fraction of the foresight he has. Um, that's a good question. I think the, the fact that uh, so many, there's so many changes, but he said, I'll call it the foundation for continuity in the, in the Squirrel Bridge and the fact that the, the Sandbaggers first who promoted Squirrel Fest and now Longview Noon Rotary has taken that over, I think that will be a, a thread of continuity that will be wonderful for the city of Longview and everyone that uh, knows about Longview. In fact, I thought recently uh, I should introduce myself as coming from Longview that's 100 years old this year, and Longview is Squirrel Bridge City. Mm -hmm. I like that. Squirrel Bridge City. What about you? 
Well, the way I look at it is what, what are the best parts of Longview now? And that's what you want to continue over mm -hmm. the next hundred years. Longview is a beautiful community. I remember when uh, we were doing the St. Rose Parish Center, there was, the architect was out of Olympia. And uh, I would have, you know, usually bi-monthly meetings with him, the architect, mm -hmm. the, the priest, etc., people on their building committee. And he would start every meeting rave because he would drive in by the lake probably down Nichols, right mm -hmm. he would just rave but he said i can't believe how beautiful your city is and how beautiful you know lake sacagawea is with the trees and that sort of thing so obviously we need to maintain that i think long as you designate it as a as a tree city in the mm -hmm. usa uh, the other thing I would like to see is i mean longview was was built with uh what I call dirt under the fingernails and scraped knuckles industry mm -hmm. Uh, it wouldn't have existed with, without mm -hmm. that, and and I know the trend is away from from heavy industry, but I still think the potential is there for us to get some industry in here that uh, that uh, like happened at at the mills and still mm -hmm. does their their really good well paying jobs. Mm -hmm. And I would like to see the city grow. I would not want to see it grow the way Vancouver has. Mm -hmm. You know, when I was playing basketball back in the in the 70s, early 70s, or late 60s, early 70s, uh, they had, what, four, four high schools in the Vancouver area, and now they've probably got 12. Yeah. Vancouver has grown to be like 170,000 people in the city limits mm -hmm. proper, which I think makes it the fourth or fifth largest town in, mm -hmm. in the state. Yeah. I wouldn't want to see Longview grow that size, but mm -hmm. I think I, I, I would like to see it thrive economically mm -hmm. and uh, there's there's room for expansion yeah roger triggered a thought um longview being a planned city has some unique features and one of them that roger mentioned lake sacagawea i, I met a, a lady who came visiting she lived somewhere in uh, central california sacramento area i think but she just came up to visit i think a relative she fell in love with lake sacagawea and she's never left mm -hmm. so Lake Sacagawea, mm -hmm. Squirrel Bridge, natural resources, having our own backyard volcano. Um, mm -hmm. We just have so many wonderful parts to our city that uh, are attractive for mm -hmm. visitors and residents. Thank you so much. And thank you, everybody, for listening to your shelf. My shelf. Or my shelf. I'm Becky. I'm Mark Peters. I'm Roger Peters. Bye. Support for Your Shelf or Mine comes from the friends of the Longview Public Library, the Longview Library Foundation, and listeners like you. Your Shelf or Mine jingle is written and performed by Megan McKeldery from A Song for You. Find Megan online at ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery. That's M-E-A-G-H-A-N-M-C-E-L-D-E-R-R-Y. ReverbNation.com slash Megan McKeldery.